Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Heather Holloman, with thoughtful biblical insights into having more vibrant and loving conversations. So a theology of a good conversation really means that you believe every person God has put in your life is of infinite value, and they have something to teach you just because of who they are, and you're going to learn something from them, and you're going to have the warm and loving connection that's a foundation for not only a happy life, but to also share the gospel with people. Heather Holloman, next. It's clear that conversation is getting harder. Whether it's due to the polarization all around us or the influence of social media, the ability to start and continue meaningful conversations is a skill many of us need to brush up on. Dr. Heather Holloman says it'll lead to deeper relationships with the people in our lives. She's a professor at Penn State and author of The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. Heather, tell us where the idea for this book came from and why a book about conversations? Well, really three reasons. Number one, I we were doing a lot of evangelism training with the book my husband and I wrote called Scent, Living a Life That Invites Others to Jesus. And we realized people who want to share their faith, they were asking us, could you go back a step and teach us how to have a conversation in general? We don't even know how to have the warm connections that naturally lead to talking about the deep things of our lives. The second reason is the epidemic of loneliness. As a college instructor, I was just overwhelmed with sadness, concern about some of the research I was reading and news reports on loneliness in the generation I was teaching. And the third reason is I show my students the Harvard Grant Study, which is the longest research study ever conducted. It's still going on. And it's trying to answer the question, what's the single most determining factor of a happy life? Mm. And the answer is warm connections. And my students always say, well, Dr. H, how do we get those? So that's what motivated me to write this book. And I'm thinking just a couple of particular, certainly, uh, well, the subtitle, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. And we think of the, yes. obviously, the polarization that COVID exacerbated, plus politics, social media, lessening at least of in-person communication skills, social media, those kind of things. Is that all kind of part of the... Oh, that's right. That fuels into the loneliness epidemic. And my students will readily admit they are afraid to speak and connect because of cancel culture. They're afraid of voicing their ideas. They're constantly, um, you know, editing themselves. They, they don't know if they're going to say the right thing. The other thing is it's a real culture of suspicion and judgment so one of the, the first mindsets that you need in order to have a warm and loving connection besides curiosity is to believe the best about people. But that wasn't happening in my classroom. Students would meet each other and immediately think, um, you know, who did they vote? The older students who can vote, you know, who do they vote for? What did they believe about this Supreme Court decision? What did they believe about vaccines? So we were vetting people rather than believing the best about them. Mm. So in one sense, uh, you have written this book maybe first and foremost, with your students in mind. That's right. Bill, I just love this age group. I love the 18 to 25-year-olds. I just love them. I mean, at no time in our lives do we have such a capacity to change our lives, to inhabit new mindsets and worldviews. And I just have loved being on the college campus the last 20 years. And so I really wrote it for them. And also because I teach professional development, and I believe having better conversations is your number one professional development skill. I don't know if you feel that way. And I'm seeing like this ability to build rapport and actually have good conversations is a missing art. Your book, of course, draws much upon a Christian worldview, 
upon Scripture. How mm-hmm. important are conversations in the Bible in terms of uh, both Old and New Testaments, Jesus' interactions? Can you give us at least right. a little uh, introduction there? Well, that was what was so exciting as I researched the social science I kept saying to myself, okay, where have I heard this stuff before? And it really comes out of the Bible. So primarily you're seeing what we need for great conversations in Philippians 2, the idea of valuing others above ourselves, taking on their interests. Think about Galatians 6, the way we're instructed to carry one another's burdens. That would be the third mindset of you know mutual investment. And think about... Um, the idea of how Paul shared his life and think about Thessalonians, you know, we were delighted not only to share the gospel, but our lives as well. And so I really looked at those passages and also, you know, Romans 12 is pretty convicting because it talks about outdoing one another and showing honor, blessing those who persecute you. So as I put together the social science research that was sort of insisting, look, you need unconditional positive regard. You need to believe the best about people when you begin talking to them. That really comes out of Romans 12 and Philippians 2. And so I was delighted. I thought this is really a Christian discipleship Mm -hmm. issue for me. This is about growing to become more like Jesus. And I found myself really weak in that one area, believing the best about people. So yeah, I confessed my sin (laughs) and I began to approach people as Romans 12 directs. And Jesus. <laughs> Jesus asks every, Jesus asks questions in every dimension of what it means to be human. And I love his curiosity. I just sometimes imagine the look on his face as he was talking to the woman at the well, for example, and how she stayed there. She stayed there engaging with him. He wasn't bothered by her redirection. You know, he just stayed with her. And he chooses to believe the best about her. He knows everything about her. And yet it's such a moment of grace. He chooses to reveal himself as the savior of the world to her, to this like woman who does not deserve, you know, in the culture, that sort of attention. So I love, I love that moment with Jesus and the woman at the well. And you also see it in other, you know, if you, as you look at Jesus interacting with other people, you can really see him um, deeply valuing, you know, relationships. Also think about just the nature of the Trinity. Think about the questions God asks in Genesis, this idea of he's a relational God. You really you really begin to think, oh, wait, I'm missing something here. Everything's about a warm and loving connection. And Jesus has been teaching us this all along. So I care deeply about what the Trinity represents about our relational, that relational aspects of our lives. And, and what are the questions, just in a nutshell, that God asks in Genesis? Oh, I love this. He he basically asks, you know, where are you? You know, who told you you were naked and what have you done? Mm. And what I love about those questions, just as like a literary scholar, is sort of what they symbolize. You know, when someone when when God is like, where are you? It's sort of like that question to all of us. Like, where are you in relation to God? Where are you? Are you hiding? Where are you? And then this idea of, you know, who told you you were naked? When I read that, it's sort of like this question, who are you authorizing in the culture to tell you who you are? Like, who told you these things about you? I mm-hmm. love that. Who? And also, it's this idea of shaming. Like, who told you you were naked? And then, what have you done is this beautiful moment of just coming to terms with our need for forgiveness of sin, for God's you know righteous requirements of holiness that are met in Christ. So, I love that picture of Genesis, the first recorded conversation. So I love that. And I, I don't know if you find that as delightful as I do, just how God 
engages there. I just love it. So, mm-hmm. in, in a nutshell, what is the essence of a theology of a loving conversation? A theology of a loving conversation means that we position ourselves to do four things, to deeply value interpersonal curiosity, being curious about other people. How do you take on their interests? How do you carry their burdens if you're not asking meaningful and generous questions about the people around you? Once you're curious, the second mindset is to believe the best. Inhabit Romans 12, outdo people in showing honor. Believe that every single person has something to teach you simply because of who they are. And and you don't live in superiority, which scripture also teaches not to show favoritism. Third, you're going to express concern about people. You're going to carry their burdens. You're going to take on their interests. You're going to show what the social science research calls investment. Mm. And then lastly, you're going to share your life. You're going to be vulnerable with people. You're going to realize the value that you were made to be a relational being. So a theology of a good conversation really means that you believe every person God has put in your life is of infinite value. And they have something to teach you just because of who they are. And you're going to learn something from them. And you're going to have the warm and loving connection that's a foundation for not only a happy life, but to also share the gospel with people. Mm, that's wonderful. And of course, you and your husband, uh, yeah, I think you have been involved with the uh, campus evangelistic Christian ministry called Crew. Yes, we were involved with 20 years. For 20 years, my husband was um, the national director of graduate student ministry. He's now transitioned to a new role where he's doing a lot of consulting with churches who desire to create cultures of evangelism. And really, he's passionate about catalyzing their efforts because a lot of churches are not equipped about how to have good conversations. And then how do you lead to a gospel presentation? And how do you live that sent life where you're really motivated by this intimacy with Jesus and be having an adventure with him as you desire to, you know, be used by God to lead others to Jesus? Well, my guest today on His People is Dr. Heather Holloman. She is Associate Teaching Professor at Penn State University. We're talking about her really helpful and fascinating book, The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. And we're going to get to those six conversations, but just a couple more sort of preliminary kinds of questions. Uh, Heather, you say that the linchpin, and you've alluded to this, of good conversations is good questions. Uh, uh, Tell us about that. That's right. I mean, how many how many of you listening, or even if you think of your own life, Bill, like you've been with people maybe for hours, they do not ask you one question about your life. I talk to my students, they say, yeah, I, I've been in my fraternity for four years. The brothers have not asked me one thing, hmm. or I went on a date. The guy did not ask me one question. You know, it's lonely. I talk to people who go home for Thanksgiving, and they say, I've been gone for a year. My parents did not ask me one question about my life. Hmm. So when you ask a question, it's an inherently pleasurable experience for the brain. So if I were to begin asking you questions about your life, it would release dopamine. It would make you excited to talk to me. We'd begin to have what researchers call a warm connection. And so asking those questions opens the door for that loving connection where you'll never get lost starting a conversation or continuing a conversation if you always think, how can I be curious? And the book is really about the six pathways, six kind of ways you can be curious about other people in order to form that warm connection. Okay. And as I mentioned, I want to get right to those, but you're laying such a wonderful foundation. You talk about uh, in your book, uh, The Six Conversations, the basics of having good conversations, and, and they, they all begin with L. 
for the four L's. Yes. In fact, the the question I love the most is when people ask me like, okay, Heather, you researched, you researched all this stuff. What's the best thing you learned? What's the best thing you learned after Mm -hmm. you wrote this book? And Bill, the best thing I learned was how to listen. Mm. Nobody ever taught me what it means to listen to someone. And this is what it means to listen to someone. You're listening for core values. You're listening for things that seem like a theme in their life or a pattern. And the example I give is I was trying to make a warm connection with a colleague. We had to work together. I just started asking about her work week. And as as she was talking, I noticed that everything she said was about whether or not she had thought she did her best job. Mm. You know, I turned in this project. I didn't think I did my best work or I turned in this thing and it, it just wasn't my best. And I said to her, as you're talking, I can tell that you really value excellence. And she just looked at me and she goes, you know, I do. I really do. And she goes, you know, stay in my office. I want to keep talking to you. (laughs) People want to feel seen and heard. And when you name their core values, they feel so loved, especially teenagers, because normally they feel really judged. But what if instead of judging them, you could say to them, like, I can tell talking to you that you really value your friendships. I love that about you. I love how relational you are. You know, instead of judging them for not cleaning their room, you can say something like, you know what? I, I, I can tell you value other things. You know, they don't value it. So find out what they do value and then they'll open up to you. It's a really easy trick. And you'll find like, why didn't anyone teach me this before? You're going to have so many warm connections if you just start doing that simple thing. Listen to what people are saying. What do they value? The four mindsets for a loving conversation, be curious, believe the best, express concern, share your life. And then the, the most critical of all is that of being a good listener. And mm-hmm. as, as you said, these things are not, they're not taught in college. They're really not taught anywhere of having a, of having a, a good conversation. And yet how critical, as you said, that is to, to life, whether it's in, in marriage, in family, in the workplace, in school, in church, anywhere. And yet this is not taught, really, is it? Right. And people are relying a lot on their phones. Uh, You know, they don't like if you're standing with someone at the bus stop or in the elevator, even with strangers, we're we're often, you know, back in the day, you might say something to them. But now we just kind of hide behind our phones. And it actually creates a lot of anxiety when students have to move into, like, say, an interview situation, an in-person interview Mm -hmm. with a job. They get very nervous. Or if they're going on a date for the first time, I've had students say to me, I've only texted this person what do I say when I see them face to face? Because I can sound really clever and cool on my text, but what do I say? So really what I love about this book is, especially if you're an introvert or more shy, this book is a game changer for people who just want to learn, how do I ask the first question? And then what are my pathways to continue the conversation for that warm and loving connection? And now I'm going to want to ask you next about those six, uh, those pathways leading to the conversations uh, that you've discovered, those six conversations. But you also point out in your book, conversations just or questions by themselves aren't enough. In other words, it's it's easy to come across as sort of a rapid fire interview. Yes. You don't want to do, you don't want to be like that. Yes. That's why you need the four mindsets. Like I've had people ask me questions because they're trying to trap me. They're not believing the best about me. They're they're getting into a, a debate with me, or I've had or I've had people that are curious. They believe the best. They even express concern, but they're not going to. Sh- they don't share their life with me. They're, so if you're missing even one of the mindsets, the warm connection falls apart. So you can be curious, you can express concern, and even share your life. But if you're not believing the best, it's going to fall apart. The person's going to feel judged. 
you know, or if you don't express concern, then there's no warm connection. So I love just that mindset shift because once you have those down, that's been really missing in the culture. What you're going to find is you're going to have more friends than you know what to do with. People are going to be drawn to you. You're going to have a better time in your, you know, committee meetings at church with your neighbors because you've you've changed your mindset about how you're even beginning that first question. And nonverbal communication, body language. Yes. <laughs> well, some of this stuff is funny because I, I have the worst body language, Bill. I furrow my eyebrows. <laughs> I frown. People think I'm constantly angry because I think I'm expressing interest mm. when I do that, like I'm concentrating on you. Mm. So just remember, you know, raise your eyebrows, maybe tilt your chin up, um, put your phone away. Um, you can really express interest by having a more open face. I did not know that. You also might want to lean back. I was leaning forward. It was a little too aggressive, I guess. I'm an intense person. So now I practice, you know, raising my eyebrows, tilting my chin up a little. And it does make a difference, especially putting my phone away or making a big deal about I'm putting my phone on, you know, do not disturb because I really want to focus on you. Mm. Well, moving to these, uh, what you call these six pathways of uh, good conversations, these six dimensions, if you will, of being human, the social, emotional, physical, cognitive, volitional, and spiritual. Can you take us through, and I know our time is very, very going quickly, Heather, but take us through each of those and and how understanding these Yes. Uh, makes a difference. Yes. It's so easy, Bill. You're going to be like, why didn't we learn this in kindergarten? So every person <laughs> you meet, every person you meet, just think they have six dimensions to them. Mm. You meet a person, you see them, you say, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. Social. Hey, tell me who you've been spending time with lately. Physical. Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Are you like me? How have you been sleeping? I want to know. I've been, I've been sleeping terribly. What about you? People love to talk about their bodies or physical spaces. Tell me about your home repairs. So, so, so far, social, physical. What about emotional? We tend to always land there like, how are you? But remember, you can say to people, hey, how did you feel about that news last night? Or how did you feel about this thing? What about cognitive? This is my favorite category. Mm. At Penn State, I'll often say to people, instead of how are you, I'll say, hey, what have you been thinking about lately? That's great in a college. You will have such great conversations. Even with my daughter, I'll say, hey, it looks like you have something on your mind. Just tell me what you've been thinking about. Mm. Now, volitional is the most underused and undertaught. Volitional is about human volition, our ability to make choices. People love it when you ask, like, okay, tell me the story about how you decided to do that. Or in, like, for example, if you see someone and you want to compliment their outfit, Rather than saying, oh, I love that outfit, say, I've got to know, tell me the story of how you decided to buy that outfit. And you're going to get such a better conversation. People love talking about decision making. In fact, you can even ask people, do you have any major upcoming decisions? Mm. Would be a great blessing to them because it's so stressful. You get decision fatigue. The last one is spiritual. And believe it or not, you can start a conversation in the spiritual realm, especially around holidays. Like everyone at Penn State in the English department knows I'm a Christian. They know... For example, Easter, mm -hmm. Christmas, these are going to be important holidays. So often I'll say, hey, you guys, um, how's everyone doing? Is anyone else as excited about Easter as I am? Do you guys have any rituals or things you do? You know, you can do that. So once you start in any of those categories, when someone answers, you then have six categories, six permutations. So you ask about a social question, who have you been spending time with? You can move right down the list. You could say a volitional. Hey, how'd you choose to go to the basketball game with those friends. Tell me how you decided. Why did you choose that couple? Tell me about them. 
you know, you could do cognitive. Hey, what did you think about when you went to that performance? You know, whatever they answer, you have six categories. If you're asking about the garden, tell me about your garden. And they talk about how they planted plum trees. I love the volitional. I might say, okay, why did you choose plum trees instead of apricot? Mm -hmm. Tell me that story. It's wonderful. You could even say, you know, do you get any emotion when you eat that first apricot that you grew? You know, whatever it is. So this book will change your life. It's changed my husband. He's proof of concept as a shy introvert. Um, When we go into churches or even corporate settings and train people who just have, they have no idea how to connect with their coworkers. This is just such an easy intervention into a culture of, again, isolation and incivility. And you can move from one of these dimensions to another, depending upon which way the conversation's going. Exactly. Like for for us, I felt like we could stay in the cognitive realm forever. Like if I if we weren't in a radio interview, I would say, okay, Bill, you've got to tell me who have you had on your show? What have they made you think about most of all? Or I'd say like, how did you choose this guest? Or I would want to know the story. How did you choose to go into radio? Mm. Or like I might do emotions. Like how do you handle the stress of being live? I don't know. Like it could be endless. And then What's going to happen is by the end, you and I will have what researchers call a warm connection. It is the foundation of not only spiritual and mental health, but Bill, the research is coming in. It's going to be so good for your physical health. Having a warm connection decreases cortisol levels. It regulates insulin and cholesterol. I just read a research report on belonging leads to better cholesterol levels. So this isn't just about my faith. This is about my body right now. Like, I want to have mental, spiritual, and physical health. So that's why I care so deeply about the six conversations. What about, and you mentioned uh, your husband being, I think, a shy introvert, and certainly a certain certain number of people listening to that to this will fall into that category and and they might say well in theory everything you're 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 saying sounds great but i have a certain fear or self-consciousness about talking to people or even starting to talk what any tips for those people in fact there is a chapter called handling fear and self-consciousness and i was so excited to share with my husband ashley the research behind asking even awkward or inappropriate questions people like them When you feel awkward, but your conversation partner actually enjoys it and doesn't perceive you as awkward. Hmm. So you think you're being, you know, you think you're, you know, terrible. Nobody's going to like you. That's not true. At the Yale Relationship Lab and other research labs across the country, they're finding that people like you when you ask good questions. Now, when I'm in the South or different cultures where they've been taught that asking personal questions is rude, you really have to overcome that idea of, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to turn to the person beside me and I'm going to say, hey, I'd really like to get to know you. Okay, my first question is like, tell me about your house. I just want to know, are you doing any home improvement projects? You know, they're going to be delighted. They're Even if it is awkward mm-hmm. and even inappropriate, the research shows even inappropriate questions are a delight to people. And if they're uncomfortable, they will tell you. So if you were to say to someone, this may seem like an inappropriate, I did this yesterday with a colleague. I said, okay, this may seem like an inappropriate question, but I really want to know this. Bill, she leaned forward, put her chin on her fist and was like, how long can you stay? How much time do we have for me to (laughs) unload all these things? So it's just Mm. do it. Just try it. It gets easier. And knowing that you know where to go next is going to make it less awkward. Like there's not going to be an awkward pause because 
you're gonna sit you're gonna think to yourself okay they i just asked my friend if he went to the basketball game he says yes now what do i do go down the list who did you go with social how did you feel about that loss emotional you know do physical how did your body handle sitting on those bleachers my knees are killing me what about you suddenly you're talking about your bodies you know cognitive you know what do you think about? What are you thinking about our new coach? What do you think about that? You're, you're never going to get lost. It's such a delight. You're going to love it. People are going to want to talk to you and you're going to find your happiness is increasing and your transitional your transitions to spiritual conversations will just be so smooth. Well, the book is The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. My guest is Penn State University professor Dr. Heather Holloman. And Heather, to this point, I don't think we've talked much about uh, pitfalls to avoid, uh, if there are, if you can give us a few few tips. Uh, I mean, we think your book is subtitled, is Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. Obviously, there's there's so many controversial right. things, politics, uh, you know, what do you think of, well, I won't even put any names out there. But, right, right. Uh, what, what about that? I mean, are there some pitfalls to avoid to uh, having good conversations, loving conversations? Well, when I'm talking about pitfalls, I'm really talking about things that prevent what I call are the three fresh goals of conversation, which are really you want your conversations to be encouraging, to help people grow personally and to lead one another to a state of marveling or awe, which the research shows is so satisfying. But what thwarts that is really when people are arrogant when they want to give advice, when you're not really listening to connect, you're listening to win an argument, people, that's not what we're talking about. There's a place for that, definitely in the public forum, and there is a place for argument and debate. But this book is really about having the warm and loving connections that will just lead to a lifetime of like fulfilling relationships. So you want to avoid those things that thwart encouragement. So if you're constantly complaining or if you're constantly only thinking about yourself. And so that chapter really talks about 10 things that sort of scripture teaches. Like these are these are actually sin areas to avoid. But I would say the number one thing nobody likes in conversation is advice giving. Mm. Do not give advice ever unless the person asks you. So Bill, I've stopped giving advice. <laughs> and what I say to people is this, hey, you just presented a pretty big problem. Do you want me to give you some advice right now or would you rather that I keep asking you meaningful questions? Guess what? Nobody wants advice. If they want advice, they will tell you. So that might be something that changes your marriage, your relationship with your children. <laughs> just ask good questions and then get permission to give advice before you start telling it because it comes off as superior and condescending and it's not the warm relationship that you want. What are your your big goals? In other words, what is your your hope for how God will use this book in the lives of those that uh, that read its uh, fascinating message? My hope for this book is that people listening can come out of this epidemic of loneliness. You were made for belonging. It is a beautiful, sacred space to be with people, to participate in what the Bible calls fellowship. It's missing from the culture. That's my hope. The second hope is that you never have to be afraid sharing about Jesus with other people. Because when you have a warm and loving connection, it's never going to feel like a sales pitch or a pivot to a gospel presentation. Because at Penn State, when I'm talking to professors, even atheist professors, we have a warm and loving connection. And if they say, what about you, Heather? What have you been thinking about? I can say, well, actually, what I was thinking about is something really cool I read in Daniel this morning about why God had to wait so long to open his to answer his prayer. Long pause. The professor says, well, 
what do you mean God waited to answer his prayer? Why? You're going to have a rich theological conversation because you've already established a warm and loving connection. So my goal is people would come to know Jesus and they'd be brought out of this epidemic of loneliness. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Heather Holloman, a professor at Penn State and author of The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's James Spencer on artificial intelligence and how we can think biblically about it. Artificial intelligence is, to some degree, a tool that is unlike a hammer or a fork, mm-hmm. right? It sort of it, it sort of plays back on us and influences us in ways that are different than a hammer and a fork. Um, but it, it is a tool to try to overcome some of the challenges that we see as humanity. The problem with it is that because fallen humanity is creating it, they're ignoring the solution that has already been given. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.